Today's episode of Tales from the Quarantine was recorded over a month ago, and I apologize for getting it out late, but at last, here it is. This is Tales from the Quarantine. Uh, welcome to uh, Tales from the Quarantine. Today, my guest is uh, the wife of a previous guest, Amber, and uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. So yeah, I'm Amber Thomas. I am the wife of Kevin Thomas, who was on a little earlier. He mentioned me a lot, so oh, I yes, decided to come on as well and talk. <laughs> so you are you are a frontline worker. That's what Kevin kept kept saying last time. Yes, I am. I'm classified as essential. I believe I'm number thirty nine on the list. <laughs> I don't even think I'm on the list, but I am essential <laughs> myself. But due to other reasons. Um, and you, you work directly with people, correct? Yes. Yes, I do. So I work um, with people who are homeless or were homeless and who have mental health and or addictions. Now, in the best of times, I can imagine that being incredibly challenging. How has it changed in the recent months? It's uh, It's gotten a lot more difficult. Um, currently we can't really be face to face with our clients that are in the community unless it's necessary or an emergency, um, which hasn't super, hasn't really popped up, thankfully, any emergencies, especially because landlords aren't allowed to evict right now. Uh, so that's really kind of canceled out that part of the job. Um, but it's a lot trickier to try and house people when neither of you can go look at the apartment and you can't meet up with anyone to sign the paperwork or just to check in with people. Um, the food banks closing down has also been a huge, huge concern of ours lately. Uh, to my knowledge, I think there's one, fo one food bank operating on Fridays, which is a lot different than the f ones that used to operate at least one every day of the week. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's did they give a reason why the food banks were closed down? Is it lack uh, of food or is it just non cross like non contamination? It's it's kind of both. So some of it was a lack of food, which unfortunately is actually very common with food banks and soup kitchens in the summer months. Um, you see a lot of people being very you know generous all throughout the year, but especially more so during the holiday season. And during June and July, everyone's kind of, you know, camp time or out enjoying the nice weather and a lot less volunteers and food donations are given. Uh, but also most of the volunteers for a lot of the food banks are people who are at risk themselves. So the elderly, seniors, people who, you know, aren't working nine to five jobs who for like on disability or just something like that. Okay. Um, have you guys found workaround for that for for at least people you work with yeah so for well for my do you mean for like food banks or for my coworkers? uh for for getting the people that you work with like the the uh, the homeless or nearly homeless or the at risk of becoming homeless and obviously they don't have a lot of means to uh, go out and spend lots of money on food yeah um, is, have you guys found a workaround with the lack of resources uh, available to you yeah, you know, it's it's kind of, um, we try to, like, like I said, our clients who are homeless or who were homeless are very extremely resourceful. You have to be to survive that kind of life. And uh, they are very good at finding food when they need it. Um, we also try to be as resourceful as possible for finding food. So to help with a lot of our clients who are at risk, um, we'll pick up the food hampers for them and drop them off. 
um, asking coworkers for donations has been working out really well, actually. Our office gave us so much furniture and stuff like that lately to help house people because people are still moving into apartments, but now they're completely empty and you can't go buy furniture. So it's a whole yeah. other problem. Yeah, I know um, my my wife, uh, her home community from her is uh, they do uh, their food bank is still operating. They have a they basically do ration boxes. Yep. Have uh, has anyone up there started doing like a box like here is a box and it gets either delivered or is picked up from a non-contact form? Yep. So I believe the LSPC, I'm not too sure on this one, but the Lakehead Social Planning Council, I believe, was delivering food hampers for people who are senior that some of my clients were accessing. And then also the RFDA has set up with 211. Um, so individuals who need a food hamper can call 211 in order to pick up a hamper or just a box um, from the CLE on Fridays. Okay, so that that must help at least a, a little bit, so that these people have um, uh, the el- at least the elderly and some of the older people that you work with are able to get a good chunk of food that can last them at least a week. Yeah, it does. It does for sure. It's again, it's just uh, we're seeing it's a lot different from the usual because normally you would have at least one food bank operating every day of the week, if not two or three. So the amount and the ability to access has really gone down, um, as well as, unfortunately, it isn't just a bunch of food stocked up with the RFDA. I believe they did get some funding, but I'm not too sure on that one. I have to check that out for additional food. What uh, what other challenges are you finding um, in, in these times? Uh, you got food, you got housing. Uh, is there other uh, major challenges that are basically coming to the forefront due to uh, the pandemic? I mean, I think the big one would be the social distancing, right? I have, um, for example, I have a client, I have a couple clients actually that have, that are extremely immunocompromised. um, And like this, if they caught COVID, it would probably be the end for them. And unfortunately, they're stuck in a shelter sharing a dorm with 27 other people. And just due to the nature of the shelter, you can't really, you know, deny people access if they need it or screen everybody and make sure that everyone's, you know, completely clear and keep everyone in the building because people do need to leave and do need to do other things. Um, so that's been a huge challenge. I have a lot of clients that are very scared about what uh, what this might mean for them being unable to go anywhere as well as, you know, showing apartments and stuff. A lot of landlords, understandably, don't want to be letting people into their houses. So finding places has been quite difficult as well. Yeah, I I can just imagine how just finding a a room for someone like that would be difficult in the best of times even. Um, And now it'd be almost impossible. Yeah. How how are the shelters coping with the the change in the situation? Because you mentioned that. Sorry, yeah, so sorry. Uh, to my knowledge, the shelters are they're doing their best. Um, they do have some screening measures in place. I again, I don't know for sure. Last time I talked to them, they did have a questionnaire, and they were trying to encourage people to stay inside as much as possible um, and not leave if they don't need to. Uh, just to you know try to mitigate the risk and help keep people as safe as they can. Um, but 
again, it's you got 27 people to dorm. I think I saw a news article where Shelter House said they had spaced out the beds as much as they can, but they also have 62 people or 62 beds in that building. It does make it difficult for everyone. Yeah, I've I've seen some creative ways that people have uh, or globally have been dealing with uh the issue of homelessness and yep. how to how to deal with that like you have las vegas who drew lines in a parking lot and had them sleep in the lines yeah and then you, then you have uh, i believe los angeles or maybe not los angeles but somewhere in california they were actually putting them up in hotels yeah um, they do have that here as well actually so yeah. they, the the government has been putting um putting people up in some hotels yep have have you had direct contact with anyone who's been staying in that uh situation um possibly uh it's the also the big difficulty with this is that there's you know lots of my clients don't have phone or internet access um mm -hmm. and with everything being shut down and people not being allowed in buildings it's exceedingly more difficult for clients to access the phone or internet the library was a big place that most of my clients would go to to contact me and they can't do that now um, to my knowledge, I may have a few individuals accessing hotels, but again, I don't know for sure just because they're, uh, can't contact me, but that was the plan yeah. before they kind of disappeared. Um, yeah, it's, I believe Shelter House and Salvation Army and DSAB, the Thunder Bay District Social Services Administration Board, are working together to help put up people in hotels i think the last news article i saw about that was there's 170 um, rooms that were being funded to help people have a safe place to stay for the night to socially isolate that must uh, at least help alleviate some of the issues at least some of the problems i guess with people uh, without homes it does for sure i think the i think the thing that's that I'm hoping will be the positive out of all of this is to really bring more awareness to the homeless population and the disparity between the amount of homeless people we have and the amount of beds we have in the city. Because our last point in time count, um, there's 474 homeless people in the city and there's only something like 200, 200 something beds available for them. So really we're, we're not matching it. So there is a population that people are calling, you know, kind of the hidden homeless um, that we're seeing now who we need to try and help serve for social isolating. And our community just isn't set up to do that really, unfortunately. Yeah. And now you, you're mentioning 400 and some odd uh, actual homeless. Now are those people that aren't, who are physically most of the time either on the street or in a shelter or are those people that are as, don't have a home but are couch surfers yeah so it's it's all of that it would be people that are in shelters people who are sleeping outside um people who are kind of transitionally homeless like in jail or hospital but there's nowhere else to go after that uh anyone in women's shelters uh couch surfing all that kind of stuff okay that's that that seems like a a, a large number of people for thunder bay yeah. to be honest yeah it really um, is because Thunder Bay is not a huge city, but uh, it also is like the only urban center in Northern Ontario. And, well, exactly. Yeah. And it's eight hours to anywhere, really. Yep. Now, how how has that, the isolation of its of Thunder Bay itself, been affecting how you're able to help these, uh, your clients or your, the people? Um, 
it's it's kind of a weird a weird scenario where like we're we're isolated in a sense but not overly i mean we're not um you know we're not toronto or anything in the gta we're we're immediately surrounded by other places but we are a little removed from the scenario i think that's a def like it's a good thing and a bad thing for the fact that you know we aren't seeing as many cases as southern ontario but we are also seeing a lot of people not feel as worried about this as uh as they should be because they believe we're, we are isolated um the other issue too being that you know lots of the clients that are here are actually from northern communities that are truly isolated and now they're struggling to get home or get back when they need to and that's also a huge concern considering our already lack of beds for the people we have now yeah that's um that's an often probably not well known outside of thunder bay how it is basically the gateway to remote northern communities and it is the resupply center when i live there i often usually in the fall uh before the uh uh it became more difficult to get places i i'd often see people uh fill up their trucks with food um and carry that back home and that's going to be their food for the majority of the winter yeah yeah so i'm actually from pickle lake uh, which is the furthest north? That's the furthest northern town you can drive to in Ontario. Everything I've after that is fly-in, yeah, or or winter roads, and that's exactly what we did. Uh, mostly due to the cost of food up there. Um, last time I was there, I think four pork chops was forty dollars. Yeah, so. I, I I um I was up in Nunavut uh, in a Calloway back oh, in uh, yeah. two thousand nine, and the you couldn't find fresh meat. It was all nope bad pretty yep. much and uh most of it was rotten yep. however at least up there they had uh in the summertime they were able to catch large quantities of arctic char with their hands basically so they yeah. were able to offset their intake that way but that was also the largest community in uh none of it and having been myself to pickle lake which is what a six hour drive from from thunder yes. bay yes it is and uh yeah i can't just i can't amount people they're connected to the road um, are, are doing, let alone flying communities that have to rely on relatively frequent resupply runs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's the thing is lots of my family is still back in Pickle Lake and even Pickle Lake is taking, you know, all the safety measures possible to um, be safe with people. The school there is actually distributing distributing um, those like food boxes you were talking about to parents in the town to help out. Um, but the idea is, you know, there's no hospital up there. And the second it hits the north, as we're seeing in some communities already, it's going to go fast and it's going to be very bad. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, the nearest hospital is about two hours away. Like uh, full three. Service. Yeah, so it would be Sioux Lookout would yeah. be the nearest hospital. It's about three hours. Um, if it's we used to we used to have quite a bad joke, actually, about depending on where you were going, how severe the uh, injury or illness was based on where you were being medevaced out from Pickle Lake. If it was Sioux Lookout, it was, you know, not terrible. Thunder Bay, not great. <laughs> Bigger hospital here. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've spent some time in uh, Thunder Bay Hospital. It's uh, yeah. it's probably the, one of the biggest hospitals you could find in a city of that size. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things a lot of people don't realize about our hospital as well, is it's called the regional for a reason, because it 
serves the entire region of Northern Ontario for a lot of things, which is also why we're usually in gridlock. Yeah, I've uh, they, it was a unique experience because my son spent a week there, um, uh, a week after born, and uh, they had inpatient like a little hotel room right outside of the uh, NICU, which oh, I've wow. never seen before. But it makes sense because yeah. you have all these you have people coming in from remote communities, and there's makes more sense to keep them there. Yeah, than exactly. It does to a hospital, I mean yeah. a hotel. So, how? Uh, the general feeling because i know kevin says he doesn't go out because he doesn't need to <laughs> yes and there's no no need to go out don't go out how's the general yeah. feeling in your city um i think it's it's a little you know everyone's taking it seriously i feel um it's a little bit harder when it's nicer outside for sure it's the first nice weekend we've really had here and you're seeing people going out for walks a little bit more but i think you can definitely feel that that things aren't normal. They aren't the way they are. They aren't the way they usually are. Um, going, I'm going grocery shopping for us usually because Kevin's doing an army contract right now. So even in the grocery stores, it's everyone's being very mindful of you know where they are in relation to everybody else. It's definitely a uh, hard to put words to, but it's a weird feeling trying to be mindful of where you're walking in a store and in in a sense of social distancing. Yeah, I've, I'm the person that goes and gets groceries uh, with my family, and I've noticed that there's been an increase of people wearing um, face coverings. Yep, here too. And, which is great, because it's going to eliminate or drastically reduce the spread of uh, a cough or a sneeze. But one thing that I've discovered is that um, there's gonna, there's always that small element that just ignores all the rules. Yep. <laughs> but then there's the people who are wearing gloves, but they're not wearing them correctly oh my god they're touching everything and then touching their face <laughs> or like they're also some some of these people aren't even wearing the, the correct type of gloves they're not wearing disposable yeah. gloves they're wearing like yep. work gloves and uh yeah it's i've seen them i've seen people take those gloves off with uh putting them in their mouths or mm -hmm. and it's 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 interesting are, are you seeing a lot of that up there as well yeah. It, yeah, bits and pieces of it. Um, I think the thing I see the most is when people improperly wearing masks. Uh, generally, no, yeah, being, yeah <laughs> when the mask is on your face, the mask is completely on your face. And when the mask is off of your face, it's completely off. It doesn't just go down. It doesn't go up. You don't hang it off one ear. On, off, 100%. Don't touch the front of the mask. Um, yeah, they yeah. have us wearing masks at work as well. So we've got... The pictures everywhere telling us the proper way to do it and trying to be extremely mindful um because again i'm in my 20s i'm in good health for me getting covid you know i i probably wouldn't see the severe effects of it but most of the people i work with would so it is about you know protecting others really in that sense and seeing people not wear masks properly is pretty infuriating yeah, and especially people who are wearing uh, like quality um, N95 masks with like the respirator valve in them and stuff. Yeah, for sure. That's especially if they got managed to get an N95 mask in this day and age. <laughs> but there's a number of people out there that I see that are wearing like equipment that should be donated to to the 
local hospital or, or yeah or... i've seen that too especially i think especially in the early days before we were recommended to be wearing masks um seeing people with the n95s or the you know the big masks covering their entire face and knowing healthcare workers were facing a shortage was very kind of demoralizing at the start yeah we at where i work we wear uh, cloth face masks we have mm. one cloth face mask <laughs> and yeah. it's not it's not the grid it's you know it's um, not meant to protect us from other people so it's meant to protect other people from us so it does its job yeah um, we're um oh sorry no go ahead oh we have the uh surgical ones i think they're technically called but i'm with a healthcare organization so that would be why <laughs> Yeah, we're not allowed to wear the cloth masks, um, but again, I'm with like a healthcare organization, so we have to follow the rules from the federal government. Mm. Yep. How uh, now? How often do you replace your uh, your mask daily? Um, so it depends. I'm currently kind of redeployed, so I'm helping out with two different sites right now. Uh, so the one site, I replace my mask once a day, but it's a live-in site and all of the clients see each other regularly and I don't leave the building at all. So really it's just to stop me from spreading to the clients. Okay. Um, the other site, if I go out and make face-to-face -face contact with the client, then I replace the mask. Okay. Yeah. So it basically entirely depends on your situation at the time. Yep. <laughs> Have you had any, like, obviously, um, your work is normally out working with other people. Um, have you uh, had to go to the hospital uh, during this uh, time of pandemic? No, thankfully. Um, I'm also convincing my clients as best I can to um, not go to the hospital if they don't need to. I did go to the St. Joe's Hospital um, just to help out with another kind of program for a little bit. Uh, but that was very early on at the start of this. Have, uh, just general knowledge, um, have you heard if the hospital is being, um, seeing a lot less people? Uh, cause I know previously given Canada, a lot of people went to the emergency rooms and I know down here, they've seen a massive drop in the number of people showing up with, uh, things that are not emergencies is that similar to up there do you know to my knowledge i believe it is um i know they have emptied out i think it's i want to say something like 80 or 90 beds but i'm not too sure they actually had a huge news article on it on tv news um to discuss but they did a huge drop in the number of occupied beds at the hospital and built um an entire little like covid ward um to prepare for this so they moved very fast I noticed that around a lot of places, a lot of smaller houses have, uh, I've also uh, done similar things like uh, uh, hospital back up to where I'm from uh, in a small community. They were able to, they had an outbreak. I believe they, they're still working on it in the hospital and yeah. they, uh, they were, they were able to quickly move and isolate as best they can. Yeah. Um, what, everything that was going on there. So uh, that's, <laughs> that's a good plus for the, the healthcare, uh, healthcare workers in the hospitals, nurses, doctors, yeah, for sure. I believe our um, our hospital here did have one positive case, I think it was. And there was a large amount, something like 100 hospital workers were quarantined because of it. So it was, it was probably not very fun for them losing out on that many staff right during the middle of this pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, especially since uh, 
you need as many people as on deck as possible. Yeah, exactly. Now, do you uh, have any knowledge of the um, that quick test that's coming online? That's the one from the Ottawa company Spartan Bioscience, I believe they're called. Do you know if you are going to be using those in your um, uh, line of work? Not necessarily you employing the test, but are, do you know if that test is going to be used when so, available? To my knowledge, I believe the latest um, the latest rules or whatever you want to call them put down by the provincial government is that anyone working in long-term care is, from the sounds of it, going to kind of be the first line of um, mandatory testing for employees. Uh, so I think that's kind of the next step here. I'm not too sure if it's going to get to me eventually or not. I guess it really depends on how far this goes. Um, the furthest right now is I'm being screened. We have a screener on our phones to answer questions every time we go into the building. Also the face masks and our temperatures are taken every time we come in. And I believe in long-term care, it's also every time you leave. Uh, but yeah, I'm not too sure if that'll actually trickle down to me or not. But again, working for a healthcare agency, I wouldn't be overly surprised if it did. Uh, but for sure, health long-term care, I think the long-term care homes are first. Yeah, which makes sense because that's where the majority of uh, people who are dying uh, yeah. come from. Cause, yeah, like, it'd be uh, very bad. In my hometown, Bob Cajun got hit pretty hard. They were the, the highest hit for a while there. And unfortunately, others have surpassed them. Yeah, I saw um, that. And like... For example, one of our long-term care homes in Thunder Bay has seven floors. So if it got in there, it would be very bad very fast. Yeah, especially since a lot of these places, they, they can't really isolate that well because a lot of them are pretty well packed. Exactly. And I mean, they're, they are doing all they can with PSWs and everyone who works in long-term care is only allowed to work at one building at a time, the testing and everything, but... Yeah, hopefully this the the good that comes out of this is uh, basically changing how long term care is done. Oh yeah, I'd I'd, I'd love country. to see a lot of different good things come out of this. That's for sure. Yeah, well, I think that's a good space to uh, end it. Um, uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Um, is there anything else you want to fin- do? You want to finalize anything or finish anything? Um. Maybe just reiterate something I think Kevin mentioned is his, but I'm not too sure. But this is the great time to introduce universal basic income. <laughs> it would definitely make my job easier. I think it would make everyone's life easier. Um, and it would prove hugely beneficial for the country overall. Well, I think CERB um, and the follow-ons to that are basically the precursors to that. Yeah, yeah I'm really hoping that that's the next big political... Uh, hotspot during the voting season is universal basic income well it just to carry on like the uh the fact that they they've determined that people making minimum wage need an income boost yep and then that students need money yeah and for example sorry i know i'm kind of getting off topic now no it's all good off topic going ahead um my clients that are on ow and odsp you know, they're giving people working minimum wage um, more income. People that are off of work are getting more income than you'd see on OW or ODSP. And the clients that we have that are on OW and ODSP that arguably do need a much larger amount of income to be safe and to keep themselves safe, 
uh, clients on OW saw a one-time payment of $50 that they had to apply for, and clients on ODSP saw a one-time payment of $100 that they also had to apply for. And that's all of the additional funding they're receiving, personally. Yeah. I, I honestly think that the $5,000 threshold for CERB and, uh, is ridiculous. Um, it is. Yeah. The fact that they, uh, just for people who were students, um, they ignored those people for that. And then they ignored people who made less than $2,000 a month until recently. Yep. And now they're basically yep. ignoring people who have no income, cannot apply to anything else. And in the long run, um, I think $2,000 for a universal basic income is a bit high. Uh, it's not sustainable in the long term, because but uh, there's got to be some sort of number that we could find. I think when that... they were when they were doing the basic income, because Thunder Bay was one of the pilot projects for basic income when that was around for a couple months. Yeah, as was Lindsay, Ontario. Oh, near where nice. I yeah. And I think, I want to say it was like 1500 a month, 1500 something like that. It was more than ODSP and OW. Um, and the clients that I had that were on it had the space to improve a lot and they did so well and having it taken away was such a devastating thing. So it would be great to see it back. Yeah, I was, there was a um, study done on it where people, uh, they, there's people that opened businesses because of it because they yep. didn't have to have that second person have a job uh, yep. that needs income. They, they had the, the ability to open the business. There's people who went back to school. Yeah, that's what I saw with a lot of my clients was um, an uptick in housing. They were able to find housing a lot faster than than regular. Um, even just, you know, simply saying you're not on OW or ODSP in an application increases your chances, unfortunately, of finding a place. And, uh, you know, giving them the space to go back to school or feel comfortable with eventually finding work and not having to worry about port reporting their income and all these things into the provincial government as often as they have to was honestly amazing. Yeah. And the only, I think the only way that uh, basic income is going to work is it has to be universal. You have yep. to, everyone has to get it um, the same amount and then you can opt out of it obviously. But uh, if it doesn't matter if you're making $0 a year or if you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year, yeah, because it's, it's that, it's meant to one support you. Um, it's also to give you that extra wiggle room. Um, exactly. Maybe a, a staging, like if you make X amount of money, you get $500 a month. But if you make this amount of money, you get $1,500 a month. Which would be honestly very easy to do. Cause it's what we do with OW and ODSP right now. Anyways, at and a certain point tax. when you start, yeah. When you start making a certain amount of money, you start losing some from the benefit, which is totally fair and understandable. Um, and, but, all yeah. to, and all you'd have to do is really put um, an income verification application. Like, so if you lose your job, you just, you submit a form through the internet or through uh service Ontario, service Canada, and then Bob's your uncle. The way you go. You the amount. Get rid of the stigma and make, give people more money, right? It's $300 a month is not enough to live on. We know that. Well, they've determined 2000 is the bare minimum that, uh, a single person can live on. Yeah, and yet the Ontario welfare system is $300 for basic needs and $300 for rent. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's, uh, I think we should end it there. Yeah, we're <laughs> Before good. Before we go too far in the weeds. Uh, yeah. Thanks for coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me. Okay, everybody. Stay home.
Stay healthy.